0: Welcome to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message.
1: Hey, people. Uh, my mic's not on. Maybe. Yeah, there it is. What's up? Hey, it's uh, it's great to see you guys, man. It has been... Way too long, three months, I think, we were talking about earlier. That's uh, crazy to me. Some of you, this is your first time to Veritas. I'm glad you're here. Some of you have been coming for a long time. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's exciting to be back. We're, As a staff team, we've been hoping and praying that this would work out. I'm glad that, that thus far it has. And so uh, tonight, I, I wanted to start by uh, telling you about a story, uh, a news article that I read the other day about a city in Europe. So uh, a city in Europe, has an interesting problem that they have to get creative in solving. Salzburg, Austria, they have this problem that they call uh, smartphone zombies, right? And so what a smartphone zombie is, is maybe as you would guess, an unsuspecting pedestrian kind of strolling about, not really paying attention, not really aware of his or her surroundings. And as it turns out in Salzburg, Austria, a lot of people are getting hurt because of this phenomenon. So much so that the city decided to put airbags around all of its uh, lamppost on, on the streets. Now, what, what that says on that huge inflatable airbag is will the next car be as soft as this? I have no idea if people are actually running into lampposts or if this is just to raise an awareness, but, but apparently uh, 40% of pedestrian accidents in the city of Salzburg, where because of this smartphone, uh, smartphone zombie pedestrian being distracted by fu- smartphone issue. Now, I read that, and on the one hand, that's absolutely absurd, right? Airbags on, on lampposts. And, and then on the other hand, I started to think, you know, it, it's not just people in Europe that are distracted by their iPhones. We are too, aren't we? I mean, if we're honest, we're constantly distracted by our phones. I read that back in 2017. I'm sure it's much higher now. That The average time, amount of times that an iPhone user touches his or her phone a day is 2,617 times. 2,617 times a day. This is like three years ago, so imagine what it is now. That's how many times we touch our iPhones a day. Now think about the time that we're also distracted by YouTube and Netflix and email and text messages and social media and on and on and on and on, right? Devices and screens, they're constantly demanding our attention, constantly stealing our attention. We've all read of, we've all heard of the the Google employee, the the Facebook engineer, the, the Steve Jobs of the world saying we're literally creating these things. We're creating these things, these apps, these devices to seal your attention. We're creating these things to create a sense of dependency. We're creating these things to distract you. So so one of the leading researchers of Microsoft, Linda, don't know her name, Linda Stone, she says this, she says that continuous partial attention is our new normal. Continuous partial attention is our new normal. It's kind of true, isn't it? I mean, if I think about my own life, maybe if you think about yours, I'm, I'm constantly doing multiple things. My mind's here, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm busy, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff, I'm distracted constantly, so much so that continuous partial attention, it's my new normal. Now, now if that's true, then it has to raise a question. What is this doing to our relationship with Jesus? What is this reality doing to us spiritually? So someone once asked uh, Tim Keller, former pastor of a big church in New York City, he's written a lot of books, you know him. Uh, someone asked Tim Keller, hey, why do you think so many young Christians struggle with God in their lives? Why do you think so many young Christians struggle with their faith? And Tim Keller's response is noise and distraction. That's why they struggle. Noise and distraction. He said it's easier to tweet than it is to pray. Now, maybe Twitter's not your thing, but we could easily add it's easier to scroll. It's easier to binge. It's easier to text. It's easier to post. It's easier to shop. It's easier to watch. It's easier to sleep than it is to spend time with Jesus, isn't it? See, for a lot of us, myself included, I say us, me too, it's easier, it's far easier to be distracted at times than it is to spend time with God. And the reality is this isn't just a new problem. It's not just 2020 and this is an us issue. This is a, this is the thing that was true in the Bible too. First century, Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. It's a story that you're familiar with, but we're going to look at it again. Picking up in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what's better, and it will not be taken away from her. So, so you, you get the story right, like you two sisters, and one sister, Mary, is in a room, sitting at Jesus's feet, listening to him, and the other sister is in the other room doing all the things that had to get done, good things. Cleaning, cooking, hosting, every, all the preparations had to be done. How would you feel if you were Martha? I mean, you're not just doing your part, you're doing her part, you're doing everybody's part. We empathize with her frustration, don't we? As she goes to Jesus, she said, Jesus, she's just sitting there and I'm doing all this work and it's good work. And she's just sitting there, tell her to help me. And that's when Jesus, he kind of does a gut punch, doesn't he? because he turns Martha's frustration on its head and he says, Martha, Martha, Mary's chosen what's better. See, Mary chose what's better because she wanted Jesus more than she wanted anything else. She wanted Jesus more than she wanted anything else. There's another story, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, picking up in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume, it could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me the poor you will always have with me, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. So this woman, she's an uninvited guest. She comes to a party. She's, She's got this alabaster jar. It's filled with this perfume that that other gospels tell us was very expensive, very rare, probably worth a year's worth of wages. Now, if you were that woman and you had something that rare, that expensive, what would you do with it? How would you use it? Maybe a little bit over time on yourself. Maybe many of us, we take a picture and throw it up on social media. Maybe we'd put it somewhere in our house so that when when our friends came over, they'd see it and, and kind of want it or admire us, make us look good. But notice that's not what she does, does she? No, she takes the jar and she breaks it, meaning she had to use all of it, not just some of it, because you can't just fix a broken jar, and she dumps it all on Jesus. Every last drop. Something worth an entire year's worth of wages. And, and when she does it, what do the disciples do? They're indignant, aren't they? They say, what a waste. That's such a waste. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of perfume that could have been sold. It could have gone to good use. It could have helped the poor. You see, that woman's actions were, were excessively offensive to them. But not so to Jesus. Jesus saw that action a lot differently. They weren't, her actions weren't excessive. They weren't wasteful. What does Jesus say about them? He says they're beautiful. What she did was beautiful. Why? Well, because what, what she was more interested in was honoring Jesus than herself. What she was more interested in was honoring Jesus than an expensive perfume that not many people had. See, that woman, she wanted more, she wanted Jesus more than she wanted anything else. Jesus was worth far more to her. Now, maybe that sounds familiar. Maybe it sounds familiar because the two stories, they're about the same woman. See, the Gospel of John, let there be light. The Gospel of John, it tells us that the same Mary that sat at Jesus' feet while her sister Martha was in the other room, distracted by all the things that had to get done is the same Martha that had an expensive perfume and she broke the jar and she poured it all out on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was worth everything to her. Now we read these stories and and maybe they're familiar, maybe they're common to us. Maybe we've heard them a lot. I, I don't think that we can escape the question that is staring at us in the face when we read these. What's Jesus worth to us? What's Jesus worth to us? See, why is it, why is it so much easier for, for a lot of us, again, myself included, to scroll, to binge, to watch, to shop, to sleep? Why is it so much easier to do those things than it is to spend time with Jesus? Why do we often invite distraction? Why do we often seek out distraction in our lives? Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, see what I'm starting to wonder and, and frankly what I'm worried about is that many of us invite distraction in our lives because Jesus isn't really our treasure. Jesus isn't really our treasure. Now, maybe we wouldn't actually say that. We're all here at a college ministry meeting we wouldn't actually say that, but, but I wonder if sometimes our lives tell a different story. If you actually started to look at our lives, think about our lives, if people are paying attention to our lives, if they see us wanting something else, desiring something else, worshiping something else, loving something else more. Let me ask you a question. What do you love most? What do you love most? Maybe you have no idea. Maybe that question feels so abstract, so ethereal. You're like, Kyle, why are you asking me that? I don't know. Here's a different question. How do we learn to love Jesus most? How do we learn to treasure Jesus? How do we learn to be with Jesus? How do we learn to want Jesus in our hearts, especially in a distracted world? It's a hard question, isn't it? And notice I said learn. I say learn intentionally because Learning to love Jesus, learning to treasure Jesus, it takes practice. Now, I get that that is the most unspiritual sounding thing ever, but it's true. Learning to love Jesus takes practice because it doesn't come natural to us. We have to learn how to grow in our love for Jesus. And so if that's the case, how do we do it? But well, to be honest, there are a lot of different things that we could say. I'm just gonna share a few things that, that for me over the last few months, especially that have been particularly helpful. Some of our staff team, we've been, we've been talking about these things together. Three things that I think have certainly helped me, I think will help you learn to grow in your love for Jesus. And the first is this, audit your daily habits. Audit your daily habits. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, is what are the things that you do on a daily basis? What are, the, what are the rhythms of your day? The things that, that you do regularly without thinking much about them. You know, the like, we wake up in the morning, we roll over, we grab our phone and boom, start scrolling. What are those things? You get home from a long day and you do what? Right before you go to bed, it's What? What are those habits? What are your daily habits? What are your daily rhythms? Here's a different question. What are those daily habits? What are those practices? What are those rhythms? What are they doing to you? See, I'll be honest, that's, that's, a, that's a question that, that I didn't used to think much about. What are the things that I'm doing? What are they doing to me? James K. Smith, he's an author. He wrote a book, uh, You Are What You Love. He, 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 he has a pretty insightful comment in this regard. He, he talks about a lot of these things. This is what he says. I think we have a quote. Yeah. Uh, He says, we need to recognize, we need to recognize that our imaginations and longings are not impervious to our environments and only informed by our supposedly critical thinking. To the contrary, our loves and imaginations are conscripted by all sorts of everyday practices that are loaded, everyday practices that are loaded with a vision of the good life. To be immersed in those secular practices is to be habituated, to long for what they promise. Now, that's kind of wordy, but but I think you probably get the gist of what he's saying. He's saying that our habits, our practices, our our rhythms, he's saying that they're shaping us to want something. They're shaping us to long for something, to to long for someone, to long for, for some vision of the good life. What is that? What is that thing? Interestingly, uh, a recent study, researchers, they they analyze the brain activity of Apple fanatics, right? Maybe you're an Apple fanatic, I'm kind of an Apple fanatic. You gotta have the newest phone, you gotta have the newest computer, the newest gear, that sort of thing. Here's what they found, I think this is fascinating. They found that Apple products trigger the same parts of the brain of Apple fanatics that religious imagery triggers in a person of faith. In other words, our brains are doing the exact same things when we're using Apple products as when we're worshiping God. Our brains on Apple are literally worshiping. See, what do your habits say about what you want? What are your habits, what are your rhythms, what do your daily practices say about what you love? Remember what Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, if we wanna grow in our love for Jesus, then, then we have to realize that the things that we're doing are doing something to us. The things that we're doing are doing something to us. And unfortunately, often what they're doing to us is different. It rivals what Jesus wants to do in us. It rivals what Jesus wants for us. So we have to take a, a, an audit of our habits, but it's not enough just to recognize what our daily habits are, what our daily routines and rhythms It's not enough just to acknowledge that this is what I do. We actually have to recalibrate those routines. That's the second thing. We've got to recalibrate our routines. So, early 1900s, uh, shortly after actually the, the, the infamous Titanic sinking, there was another tragic accident. A merchant vessel, merchant vessel rams into a steamship off the coast of Virginia. Not nearly the same stage or same size um, or, or same tragedy. Nonetheless, it is a tragedy because the, the ship sinks and 41 sailors lose their life. They die. Now, after the fact, they're trying to figure out how did this, how did this thing happen? What, what led to this accident? What they found is that the captain of the ship uh, was using a faulty compass. The compass that he was using, he, he hadn't calibrated it properly. And so it was like two or three degrees off. But those two or three degrees led them in the wrong direction and into another ship and people died. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, I think our hearts are like a compass. They're like a compass because they're orienting, our hearts orient us in a particular direction. And so if that's true, if our hearts are like a compass, then it means that we we need to regularly recalibrate them. It means we we need to regularly retune them if we want to head in the right direction. In particular, if we want to head in the direction of Jesus. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. See, in order to love Jesus, in order to treasure Jesus, we have to recalibrate our hearts by, by forming new habits that lead our hearts to the end of the direction of Jesus. Habits and practices that, that shape our love for Jesus, not something else. See, I think sometimes we think that it, to, to love Jesus means I have to know more about him. Right? We treat it kind of as an intellectual exercise. The more that I know about Jesus, the more that I love Jesus. Now, on one level, it's true that the more that we know about Jesus, the more that we'll love him. But it's not enough to say that we just have to grow in our knowledge. We'll talk actually about our minds and knowing Jesus next week. But, but tonight, what I want to say is that learning to love Jesus actually takes practice. We have to do something. We have to do something, especially in a distracting world especially when things are constantly vying for our attention. It's not enough just to say that I know that I should do this. I actually have to do it. And so what does it look like to recalibrate, retune some of those habits, our hearts? Well, I'll just share, honestly, for me, over the last few months, part of what that's looked like, it's it's meant disciplining myself. I know this is gonna sound silly, but disciplining myself to get more sleep. I tend to be the guy that wants to stay up. My wife and I, we like to stay up late and and that makes getting up early to spend time with God hard. I'm a pastor, it's hard to get up early when I've been up late. And so for me, I've had to discipline myself to go to bed earlier so that I can get up in the morning and spend time with Jesus. It's also meant committing my family to, to investing in an online church when online church, let's be honest, it's hard. It's awkward being a part of a small group. I'm a, a part of a crossing small group. It's, it's kind of weird sometimes to just do small group on Zoom. But I need that. I need those things. They help cultivate my heart to love Jesus. It's also meant for me personally, less screen time limiting my social media intake, limiting my television, my, my news, the time that I spend doing those, they're good things, they're not bad things, but they distract me. They pull my heart away from Jesus and they help me long for something else other than him. It means, you know, I, I like to be busy, I like to do things, but it means slowing down. I've had to force myself to slow down to learn how to kind of reprioritize prayer journaling. If you know me, I absolutely hate journaling, not my spiritual gift. Hope it's yours. I hate it. But for the last two, three months, you know what I've been trying to do? I I try, and and this is like not even quite journaling. I just kind of think that I journal now. You know, at the very end of the day, I just try and write like one or two sentences down, something that I'm thankful that God is doing. Could be in my life, could be in, in church life, in ministry life, family life, something in the world. It forces me to pause, it forces me to stop, it forces me to reflect, to simply create space in my day to be with Jesus instead of feeling rushed and being distracted all the time. Now, those are just things that I'm doing. It doesn't have to be what you do, but but the point is that we all have to do something. And only you know what it is that needs to be done in your life. What, what are the things? What, what are the ways in which you need to recalibrate your routines, recalibrate your hearts, your habits, your practices? What are the things that you need to unlearn? What are the habits that you need to unlearn? The things that you're doing that you kind of need to not do so that you can create new habits, new practices, new routines in order to help you love Jesus, help you treasure Jesus. Third thing, if I haven't been clear enough, the only way we actually do that is by intentionally practicing them. The only way that we actually do these things is by spending time practicing. See, it's one thing to know, and it's another thing to do. I know, I know, I know, I know that I should eat healthier, but I don't, right? Mm-hmm. I just crushed like 10 packs of Skittles back there while you guys are singing. There's a gap between what I know and what I do. But to eat healthier, I, I I can't just think about it, right? Like I actually have to do it at some point. I have to create new eating habits. I have to create new drinking habits. I have to train myself to develop habits and disciplines, new tastes, so that I actually enjoy those things more than others. So that I actually crave healthier food. See, I know because I experience it. It's far easier to read. It's far easier to listen. It's far easier to watch than it is to do. And guess what? Jesus knows that too. He knows that's true of us. Look at what he says at the very end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, this long sermon that he has in Matthew. This is how he ends it. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Now, what happens when the storm comes? What happens when the flood comes to the house that's built on sand? It washes away, right? It washes away. See, closing the gap between knowing and doing in our lives, it means that we have to develop new habits. We have to develop new tastes for Jesus. Learning to love him, learning to treasure him, it's going to take practice. There will not be there will not be formation in your life without repetition. There will not be formation without repetition. Let, let, me, let me close here. Uh, music team, you guys can come up if you want. Um, there's a, a, a Bruce Springsteen song. You probably have no idea who Bruce Springsteen is. I know I'm old. Uh, but the song is Hungry Heart. And there's a lyric in the song, uh, everybody's got a hungry heart. And he says it over and over and over. And I, I, I think about that lyric from time to time, you know, everybody's got a hungry heart because it's true, isn't it? I mean, again, maybe we don't use that. Maybe we don't literally walk around thinking, man, I got a hungry heart. But it's true. We're all hungry for something. We're all hungry for something. What's that thing that you're hungry for? What's that thing that you're hungry for right now this summer? See, I'll be really honest. Summers for me when I was in college, they're hard. They were hard because my routines, my habits, they were kind of thrown out of whack. I was usually working a job that I wasn't during the school year. I was around old friends and, and slipped into routines and habits that, that weren't healthy for me, weren't good. They distracted me from Jesus. Sometimes in the moment, I thought those were the things that I wanted. They were tempting for me. But then maybe you're like me, you kind of get those things. You're really like, yeah, it's not, it's not actually what I want. I've got it, but it's not working out. It's not really, it's not really that good. Maybe even worse, it's bad. It's destructive in my life. See, I think sometimes we think, I think I want sugar, I want pop culture, we want this, we want that. But what we really want, what we really want is our creator. What we really want is living water. What we really want is the bread of life. What we really want is Jesus. What we really want is Jesus. See, let me ask you a question. What do you want to be true of you this summer? Telescope to the end, two, three months from now, you're looking back on your summer, summer 2020, during COVID-19. What do you want to be true of your summer this summer? Do you want to spend another summer distracted, rushed, hurried, distracted by good things? Or do you want to spend a summer at Jesus's feet, learning to grow in your love, him see if you want to do that if you want to create space for Jesus in your life this summer if you want to learn to love him with your heart you're going to have to take an honest assessment of how you're living and my guess if you're like me you're going to have to recalibrate some of those routines and even more you're going to have to practice and you're going to need people to help you practice because you can't do this thing on your own my guess is you know that because you're here see I know that it's hard I know that it's going to take discipline. I know that it's going to take time. It's, it's a lot of work. But I promise you, it's worth it. It really is. It's worth it because Jesus is more. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for a beautiful night to worship. We thank you for a space that we can come and we can slow down and we can just be with you. Jesus, we confess that that we want to love you, but we don't always actually do so. And so would you, by your spirit, would you help us to take an honest assessment of our lives? Would you put people in our lives to help us see what we can't see? See the ways, the habits that we need to unlearn so that we can form new habits. Habits that shape our hearts, habits that shape our love for you. It's you that we want, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.